I was just thinking as we were singing, um, we have a we have our first grandchild, so um, she's just starting to find her feet around our house. And the other day, she was sort of just grabbing hold of um, a sofa and kind of pulling herself up, and just it was incredible just seeing how um, unfamiliar her feet were to her, um, how wobbly she was and just like how something so like like we're we don't even think about our feet and yet it was all her concentration where like what are these two things and can they hold me and not very well and and while that was happening and there was lots of standing up and falling downs and stuff but hovering all around her were four adults ready you know poised for when one of those falls wouldn't be on the god-given cushioning and, and, and just making sure and hovering. And I was thinking as we were singing, so is the Holy Spirit with you, hovering. You know, where you're shaky, where you are really feeling like, oh my goodness, is this gonna hold me? What's going on? As, as much as little Laura was like in whole new territory and just had really no idea of the risk or, or what could go wrong. Um, the Holy Spirit is hovering. I feel like there are some that here this morning that you need to be reminded that you are not shaky and standing alone. That His Spirit is hovering right around you. And yes, you may fall and, and, and bang your head or bang this or scrape that, but He's there. He's there to make sure that the falls aren't falls that are, are you know, too much for you to bear. So if that's for you, actually, why don't we all stand? Because I think we can all do with a wonderful spirit-given dose of, of his reality for us and toward us. Yep. So Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for the reminder of, of that you are always hovering near us. That whether we, whether we in our own experiences and our own arrogance and our own ignorance um, walk around with little little concept of our feet and where we're going and where it's taking us or whether we're in the midst of a season where we feel really shaky underfoot irrelevant of how we feel the reality is Holy Spirit we thank you for your presence hovering all around us we thank you that you go before us and behind us, that you are to our right and to our left, under our feet and over our head. And this morning, for those who particularly need to be reminded of the great love of a father that just is doting on them as his child, Holy Spirit, would you now just speak your language of love to them? shepherd who would who leave who left 
his 99 to go look for the one. Not many of us are shepherds, but the extraordinary story, it's, it's just a, it's, a, it's an extraordinary story of the nature and the love of God for you. How much God's heart is for, for those who are lost, for those who are shaky. Those who are hurting, in pain, who find themselves in places that they just have no idea how they got there. We thank you, Jesus, that you're a God who comes after us. Who chases us down. As you can see, we are, we are in the middle of our Advent series this year, and it's been sort of no secret over the years that Advent is absolutely my favorite time of year. I love Christmas music. I have a, a couple of different playlists that I play throughout the year as well, normally in the car because no one else will abide it. Um, but um, I, I just love it. I love the decorations. I love the time of year. I love, I think, in, in preparing, I think one of the things I most love about Christmas is I love being generous and how, how this time of year, um, given, the giving of gifts is just sort of wrapped up in that. Again, I don't know if I feel extra excited about it given that I get to buy toys again. Like, I am so excited as a grandfather to buy toys. It gets so boring giving iPhones. Do you know, like, as it gets on, the kids get old, and you're, or you're giving, like, vouchers or whatever. No, I want, like, toys, big toys and climbing frames and maybe one of those remote control cars that, you know, all those things. Um, but really, Advent is so much more than sort of that nostalgic or idealistic or, as I've just mentioned, consumeristic um, um, fairy tale or imagining that we can get stuck in when we think about Christmas or we think about Advent. And oftentimes, those kind of idealistic or, or sort of nostalgic sort of narratives can be incredibly painful when you're confronted with in your own life, which is by no means perfect that has often represents lots of, of need, lots of pain. The real life, real life is, is often kind of like highlighted during this time of year because the narrative is that everyone else's life is wonderful and every family gets along and have these wonderful laughing-filled family events where no one argues or gets irritated with one another. Um, and so what's wrong with me? And so that can be really painful for people. The good news is that Scripture is, is neither, um, isn't um, nostalgic or idealistic either. That Advent is an invitation for us as people to slow down 
in order to perceive what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing and saying. It is to remind ourselves that God is coming closer. He is coming near. It is a time of waiting and of anticipation of Jesus coming. And, and really, maybe, and maybe this, this year, it's a time where we can be invited to, to consider what we've talked about often is that, that sort of lethargy that's for so many people has kind of come on to, to us of where it's just, it feels difficult to actually care. Does anyone else, you know what I mean? Like it's just everything can feel hard and difficult. And so Advent, this season, could be a season where we confront that and invite the Holy Spirit to speak into those parts of our life and any other part that he wants to. Waiting is, of course, a very active exercise. And if you're anything like me, we all know that times of waiting are not easy times. There's a knowing one there. Anyone else? Yeah. So a couple of people. But the blessing of Advent is not found in our faithfulness in the time of waiting. Rather, it is the joy, the hope, the life, the blessing of Advent is embodied in God's great relentless faithfulness in his coming. Let me say that again. It's the, the blessing of Advent is not in our faithfulness in the waiting. It's in God's faithfulness in his coming. It is who he is. It is the story of all time. As Dej said so beautifully last week, it's, that it's one of those overarching narratives of Scripture is that God is coming, and when he comes again, he's going to put the world to right. Everything is going to be put to right. It's, it's why we pray. It's the why we worship. It's, why we, it's the reality that we live in. That thank you, God, for your kingdom and that your kingdom is coming now or your kingdom is coming closer. And then right now, in this moment, we have never lived closer to God's kingdom come than, than, than right now. We long for, in Advent, we long for, we join in with the longing for God's kingdom and we consider the humbling reality that we are invited to participate in that coming kingdom. That's what Advent is all about. It's an incredibly missional time of year that we can live countercultural to the world we find ourselves in, especially in New Zealand, where we find this time of year where everything ramps up. We might not have a social event in April, May, June, or July, but all of a sudden, this time of year, we've got how many people have at least one, two end-of-year events coming up in the next week? So, so we race ahead, and how many of us have heard, either from our own voices or from those around us, that, oh, I just can't wait to get Christmas over with so I can just relax and rest in our summer holiday? Anyone? You don't, you don't get in trouble for being honest. It's, it's, it's actually encouraged. But we have the opportunity as we embrace Advent to not put off that rest, 
not put off that waiting, not put off that slowing down till after Christmas, but we, get the, we have the privilege of doing it now. That as I say, we can live countercultural to our world and we can do so to the point that a hurting, a broken, a tired, a frantic world can see something different in us and, and we can point them to a Jesus, not just a baby in a manger, but a savior on a cross. An Emmanuel, God, who is still with us. This year, we are going to be looking at the stories of those who Scripture includes in the telling of God's great plan for restoration of the world. This morning, I'm going to be taking Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah. Um, anyone see the faux pas on social media? Matt did. He called it out. Oh, that was a test. You either don't know your scripture or you don't read or don't look at the Maharang Vineyard social media. But we had a post up and someone accidentally wrote um, Sarah and Zechariah. They weren't together, by the way. Um, and so if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1. And so this series, we're going to be looking at some of the, some of the stories of, of scripture that are included and particularly in Luke's gospel, of, of this coming of Jesus. And so this week, I'm looking at Elizabeth Zechariah. Um, next Sunday, um, we are going to be looking at Joseph, and the following Sunday, Mary, and then, of course, on the 24th, um, we are going to be looking at Jesus himself. So I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 1. And, and so, yeah, you can close your eyes, have a listen, you can read along. But this is the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. In the time when Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, who came from Aaron's family, was called Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in God's sight and they followed all of the Lord's commands and ordinances without fail. They had no children. Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in age. It so happened that Zechariah was performing his priestly service before God according to the order of his division, that the lot fell on him according to the priestly custom to go into the Lord's sanctuary and offer incense. The people were praying outside in a large crowd at the time of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing, right, standing to the right hand of the incense altar. Zechariah was troubled and terror struck when he saw the angel. I feel like that's a bit of an understatement. But, Zechariah, um, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall name him John. This will bring you joy and this will bring you joy and celebration, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be a great man in God's sight, 
He will drink no wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and will turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, he will go before him in spirit and in, power, in, in the power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to children and of unbelievers to the wisdom and, and to wisdom and righteousness. He will get ready, he will get ready for the Lord, for the Lord, a prepared people. How can I be sure of this, Zechariah said to the angel, for I am an old man, and my wife's not as young as she used to be either. I like that translator. <laughs> you know. and, men, and men have always been very clever around that particular area. I love it. I am an old man, and my wife is not as young as she used to be either. Look here, replied the angel. I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and give you this splendid news. Now listen, you will be silent and you won't be able to speak until the day when all of this happens. Because you did not believe my, because you did not believe my words. But they will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting, the people who were waiting for Zechariah and were surprised that he, had, he was taking such a long time in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he couldn't speak to them, and they understood that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He made gestures to them, but remained speechless. So when the days of his priestly service were complete, he went back home. After a time, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived and stayed in hiding for five months. This was, the Lord, this was the Lord's doing, she said. At last he has looked on me and taken away my public shame. Luke, um, Luke, in principle, really, at the beginning, I didn't read it, but at the beginning of Luke um, chapter 1, it really the purpose of the gospel is to share in a very clear, concise, the story of who Jesus is. And so Luke chooses to, in telling the story of Jesus, include as a foundation these stories. And so if we have that music ready, um, and so this whole idea of laying a foundation is one that we're actually, we see it in lots of different areas. Um, I'll keep going, just hold off on that one. But one of the examples is how many people, or did anyone else go to see the terracotta, the, the exhibition of the terracotta warriors um, when they were here in New Zealand? And so, we'll just pause that, thank you. Um, but when, when we went into that exhibition, and, and like so many different art exhibitions, there's often a focal point to, to the exhibition. But very rarely do you walk in and go straight to that focal point. And so it was with the exhibition of the Terracotta Warriors. You, you were sort of filed through or encouraged to take a route which showed just all of this incredible um, antiquities and in, just incredible parts to the culture and of the time around the same era. And you sort of, it was this building up until then you went around the corner, you were in the room, and there they were in, in all of their, their splendor. And, and so it is, 
um, I also love music. And so here we go. Keep the music really loud. This is... Um, Yep, nice and loud. And we're, can we go right back to the beginning? And turn it right up. All right. This is a, a piece of music called um, Bolero. It lasts 15 minutes long. And hear that snare drum? That rhythm of the snare drum runs constantly for 15 minutes throughout the piece of music. It's um, one of the songs that I'm only allowed to listen to when I'm by myself, because no one in my family lets me listen to it with them around. But it's an incredible, I've always wanted to use it as a sermon analogy because, and this is my moment. Because as it goes on, There's an unfolding of the story. And then why don't we just jump right ahead, maybe up to about 10 minutes. What Luke is doing, what we've seen in, whether it's an, an art exhibition or in, in music in one way or form or another, Luke is about to tell us a story of Mary and the extraordinary way in which she is going to become the mother of Jesus, but he's not going to jump straight into the story. He's going to allow it to build. And so what we see in the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah is a building of the story. It is a preparing for what is to come. So why, why does any of this matter? Well, a couple of things that I really wanted to pull out of the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah for us today is this in verse 6, where it says both of them were considered righteous. Another translation, another way of saying that is that they were blameless, that they lived honorably, that they obeyed God's law, not only in, in, by the letter, but in spirit as well, that they lived virtuously or righteously before him, that they lived in God's and they followed the Lord's commands and his ordinances without fault. Now, if we were to be really genuinely honest, if we were to say, what would someone's life, and we can translate that into 2023, let's say we imagine what someone's life looked like who could be described in that way. Let's be super honest now. This is your invitation. What were some aspects of what their life would look like? Don't all go at once. Wouldn't they have a great job? Come on, like, wouldn't they be, at least have a really decent income? You know, surely isn't that the, what, how we would translate what blessing looks like? 
Wouldn't they be really happy? I feel like you're all throwing me under the bus. Like, come on, like genuinely, genuinely, if we're going to say what practically, tangibly, would that look like today? If we would describe, oh, this is this person, they're incredibly righteous, they're blameless before God. What sort of tangible things would their life look like? They go, yeah. Like they'd have a decent house. What else? There you go. Yeah. They'd have a great family, wouldn't they? You know, like family reunions would be filled with people. I just, I say this to point out the fact that the very next line says that they had no children, that Elizabeth was barren, and they were well past the age of um, of being able to have children, that that possibility had completely gone from them physically, is extraordinary. Because we're talking about a first century culture where children were literally everything. They were everything. And how you could say, on one hand, God saw them as righteous, and literally on the other, that they had no children, the two in a first century culture absolutely could not coexist. Unbelievable shame. Unbelievable ridicule that everyone around them, again, we're talking about a tribal culture where they're not living in isolation. They're living amongst one another. The fact that the two of them have spent the majority of their adult life living out of the shame of not having children and not being able to have children is absolutely extraordinary. That it is, it is unbelievably, it's almost, it's almost impossible to demonstrate, you know, in 2023, the amount of ridicule and judgment and condemnation the two of them would have lived under, especially Elizabeth which is the terrible part of, of the gender viewpoint, then and probably still now. You know, for her, as a first century Jewish woman, she had one job and one job only, one goal, one thing that made her life worthwhile, and that is to be the mother of children, particularly sons. And that, that one job she has failed at miserably her entire adult life. That's not me speaking, that's her culture speaking. And yet the fact that scripture goes on to say that God, how God sees them is righteous is absolutely extraordinary. Zechariah would have faced multiple times throughout his life, the, 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 um, the, the um, why are you still with her? Why wouldn't you just find another wife who can give you what is yours to have? The fact that they stayed together and stayed in God's presence, stayed faithful to who he is, it's extraordinary. And yet what we see in this story is 
the way their culture, the way their world, the way those around them saw this couple, God never saw them that way. God never saw Elizabeth. God always knew she was never barren. She was never a woman who was never going to have a child. And even think about it now that that she was to go on. God always knew that she not only was going to have a child, she was going to have a son. And and God always knew that we were going to still know that son's name over 2,000 years later. Think of all the mothers of that first century environment that they lived in and how many of their children have lived and died and their children's children have lived and died and their children's 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 children have lived and died and no one knows who they are. And yet Elizabeth was always going to be a mother who, who was going to give birth to a son who we were still going to know who his, his, who his name is. We were still going to be invited to consider who he is and what he's done. That he was was always going to be the forerunner of who Jesus is. In many traditions, I love it, we call him John the Baptist. He wasn't actually a Baptist. Not that there's anything wrong with being a Baptist. but, But I love in the traditions that call him John the forerunner. He was the forerunner of who Jesus is. He was going to make a way for the Savior of the world. And she was always going to be his mother. I feel like I'm awakening you a little bit. A little bit, feel a little bit, it's a bit quiet this morning, but that's all right. What a legacy. What an incredible legacy. This Advent story is one that invites us. This is sort of getting back to the why. Why why does it all matter? Because it's a story that reminds us. It's a story that invites us to hold on to hope. To trust God for the things that we have not yet seen. To grab hold of doggedly His goodness and his faithfulness, and to never let it go. That no matter how loud our situation and circumstance is screaming at us one thing that we hold on to, even in the quietest of whisper, that God is faithful and nothing is too difficult for him. That we're never too old. That he is faithful. That we can remain and put our trust and our hope in him. I want to light the first candle of of our Advent tradition, which is traditionally the, the candle of hope. But I want to do so in also in light of the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. That we, we spend the remaining time that we have together in coming to the table and in coming close 
that we remind ourselves of the areas in our own life that represent barrenness. That, that in this room, but oh my goodness, in the community around us, in our, in our country and in our world, there is so much brokenness. There is so much barrenness that people walk around holding. That those dreams that seem to be way too old to produce anything of value anymore. When we come up to the table, I want us to come up with those things, whether they are physical or emotional, um, the pain and the illness that we can carry with just being part of a world that is still waiting for God to come in his fullness. And this morning, as you can see, our Advent wreath is, is very different from what it normally looks like. And I did that intentionally. That you can see that the wreath is made up of brittle, dry, somewhat bit prickly, broken, dead branches. And I did that this morning because I wanted us to be reminded of who God is and what he genuinely is like. And so, as I've, as I've been sharing, you know, if, you, if you're here this morning and, and you also have areas in your life that are a lot like... Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, areas of longing that you've, you've held for a long time. Maybe, maybe people or children that you're longing to see reunited with, with Jesus. Maybe it's things that you've hoped for and longed for. Things that you just have not yet seen and, and yet just desperately want to see in your life or in your time. I'd like you to come up, or when you come up for communion, I'd like you to add to the reef by wreath by adding your own um, branch. And then in the very center of the wreath, there is one green shoot. And that is just the prophetic reminder of who God is and what he's like. That, that nothing is too far out of his reach. And so why don't we, why don't we stand? This, this season of Advent, we, we change things up and we, we create a lot more space. We don't fill it as much with talking and we give opportunities for, for us as, as people to encounter God. And so this morning our prayer is that you too would encounter God in, in coming to the table. There's some gluten-free crackers in here and some bread over here. And so what I'd like you to do is if you, if even already as I've spoken, man, you've got some like this as I speak, sort of, man, that, that's got, for you, that's got a name. That's got a longing. That's got a, that, had, that, in, that embodies a dream or 
or, or just a pain or a sorrow or, or just a narrative that has just been like with you that you desperately want God to break in. What I'd love you to do is come up and, and, and grab one. And, and it's intentionally a messy process. It's intentionally prickly. This is a bit of a health and safety. There's a little bit of prickle, so be careful. But also just feel it. Like this is, these scratches are me making this wreath so far. And I was kind of, as I was doing it, I was like, oh, isn't that, isn't that like Zachariah and Elizabeth? Like, man, don't, don't believe for a minute when Scripture says that they were righteous, that Zechariah and Elizabeth's life wasn't felt with... Imagine Elizabeth month after month knowing, I'm not a mother this... You know, not now. Not, not this time around. Another, another month goes by. Another month goes by. Don't think for a minute they, haven't, they didn't feel the pain, the, the sorrow, the grief, the, the questions, the why God, the wrestling with all of it. And so as you come up, and there's going to be enough time for you to feel it and to know. And then as, you, as, as this and all it embodies for you becomes part of the wreath this year, just take your time to do it and then exchange that for the promise of God's faithfulness. For the cup, for the blood that is poured out for you. And as you pick it up, as you, as you let go of this and you pick up this, know that this is Christ's body broken for you. That He hasn't forgotten you. That He, he does, He is not unaware of what this means. And yet our invitation through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is to let go of this in order to hold on to this. So sorry, Paul, I haven't, I haven't reminded or warned you of this, but if we can just have some quiet music just to create a bit of, you know, sort of silence, the deafening of the silence. There we go. I'm going to pray, and what I'd love you to do in your own time, just come, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of the time we have together. Father, I thank you for the story and the foundation that we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth. I thank you that they are invitations for us to hold on to you no matter what our situations and circumstances are saying. And this morning as we take the bread and we hold on to the cup, we do so as prophetic acts of your faithfulness. We do so in obedience to you, Jesus, that says, do this in remembrance of me. Amen. So, now, if you want to come, 
got lots of excess all around. Make your way forward. If if one of those branches, if that means something to you, by all means, um, take part in that. And then just be aware of the exchange of in your own time. And don't feel too rushed to do it, but in your own time, release that and all that that embodies and embrace the bread and the cup. <laughs>